0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll land in Acts 2 in uh, just a minute. That sounded funny. We'll land in Acts 2. Looks like we're throwing axes. Come on. Let's get in the book of Acts. All right, today I want to do a message that you, you saw this in the announcements. I want to do a message that dovetails with our um, city group kickoff. Uh, if you don't know what city groups are, um, other churches call them small groups, life groups, cell groups, whatever you want to call them. They're groups of people that get together for worship, prayer, and fellowship. Got it? Okay. Um, our winter uh, spring semester is kicking off, and uh, today, and we're going to have signups um, in the Jesus room after church. I want to encourage you to, uh, if you're not in a a small group community fellowship, I want to encourage you today to look into that and to join one. Okay. So my message today is going to kind of dovetail with that. The title of the message today is called The Supernatural Power of Community. Um, Now, I'm not only the president of the organization, I'm also a client. And so I don't just preach small groups. We're actually, my wife and I are also in small groups. Uh, Currently, we're in two small groups, my wife and I. One of them we've been actually part of since before we even started the church and that's a closed group, but it's a, it's a group of close friends that we get together almost every week. And um, so we're, we've been doing that, and that's been a major encouragement through ups and downs in life for all of us involved. It's been a really powerful thing. The other group that we're part of, it's an open group. It's called Dash and Dine. What do we do? We dash, and then we go eat. And the order is very important. You don't dine and then dash, because then you'll throw up. <laughs> okay? You dash, and then you dine. Um, but if you're interested in kind of joining a group that's it's not necessarily surrounded around um, something scriptural, but I think it's still spiritual that you know Christians getting together and doing life together is still spiritual. Um, but we get together and we work out. We do a, we do a workout run. Um, we have walkers in our group, so runners or walkers are both welcome. Um, if you're interested in that, you can sign up for that group, and we'll we'll send you the emails every week. Um, but that is a super. Um, Amazing group for us. And honestly, I was, I was thinking about this. That group of people, um, they see us on, on a weekly basis. And sometimes we'll do other things where we invite people to our houses, you know. Um, and, and in fact, that group of people, probably we spend more time with them than a lot of our staff here at the church because we see them every week. And um, it's powerful. That's where, you know, prayer requests happen, discipleship happens, and lots of different things. And so get into um, some form of community. Some form of small group, it's really awesome. I was talking to uh, Emily about this too, and there are, to be honest, there are so many people in this church that we would like love to be friends with so many people and hang out with people, but it's a bandwidth issue, you know what I'm saying? Like we can't be close friends with everyone. But, there, but we love this church. There's so many amazing people we have in this church, and to the extent it's possible, we like to do that, but um, we also have our pastoral staff that likes to do that, and we just want to be a church of small groups. One of the staples of our City Lights Church culture is that we're not just a church that has small groups. We want to be a church that is made up of small groups, okay? Uh, I want to talk about why that's so important, okay? Well, let me give you an example of that. Your body doesn't just have cells. It doesn't just have cells. You are made up of cells. And that's really really what I want for our church. I don't want to just be a church that, that... um, has city groups, has small groups. I want to be a church where everyone is involved in some capacity in a, in a city group, in a small group. Um, you're not just, you don't just have cells, you're made above cells. And because I thought of that, then I had to look up how many cells. Okay, so just for a few, for a reference point, the average person has 37.2 trillion cells in their body. Okay. And so we have a vision to have 37.2 trillion city groups. <laughs> All right? I know it's a, it's a lofty vision, but I think we can get there. All right. Pastor Kurt, that's more, more cell groups than there are people in the world. I know, okay. All right. But here's the deal. If you're only connecting here in the rows, I believe that God has... More in store for you. If you don't have regular Christian fellowship, I want to encourage you to find out where you can have that. Many of you have that and have had that for years. But if that's not something that regular Christian fellowship, there are things that we can't do here in Rose that you can do in small groups, okay? Here's the deal God did not create us to do this Christian thing alone, He didn't create us to be the lone soldier in Christ. And I believe as we get closer to the return of the Lord, Christian fellowship is going to become more and more essential for the life and thriving of the believer. Not just surviving, but thriving in Christ. I believe as we get closer to the return of the Lord, this will become more and more important. Okay, Um, look what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews 10:23 through 25, he says this, he or she, my wife thinks it's a she, I don't know, maybe, the writer's a Hebrew, we don't really know, I think it's Paul, okay, Hebrews 10:23. the writer says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. How many want to be in that boat? How many want to hold unwaveringly, unswervingly to the hope that you profess? Wave at me. If you, if you want to, or do you want to just be fickle and like, ah, I give up easily, okay? No, I want to be, I want to hold unswervingly the hope that I have in Jesus, the hope I profess, my faith, okay? And he goes on and says, like, how do we do that? Um, number one, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. When it says the day approaching, it's talking about the return of the Lord, okay? All the more as you see the day, the return of Jesus approaching, encourage one another, don't neglect one another, don't stop meeting together, uh, don't get in the habit of not meeting, okay? I think this, this portion of scripture is actually crazy prophetic because wouldn't it just be the plan of the enemy to Isolate us from one another in the last days to wear out the saints, to wear us out and to wear us down, to make us sick, to make us isolated, to make us alone. The writer actually, I think this is crazy prophetic, and, and I, my prediction is this, that as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord, that pressures would continue to mount to prevent you and I from getting together and from with each other and encouraging one another and strengthening one another. This is why we, we have to fight tenaciously for what we have. We have to fight tenaciously to continue to get, it, uh, to get together. I think it's crazy prophetic. Um, you know, last year, the year before, when, when COVID was breaking out, no one really knew what we were dealing with. Um, you know, I was like watching the news one day, and the news is such a good source of all truth. <laughs> Man, they scare you, don't they? Here's the deal, if, you ha- if, if the news has two stories, all right, I'm gonna give you story number one. 25 year old gets COVID, uh, has to go to the hospital and ends up on a ventilator. Okay, that's one story. Next story, 80 year old goes to the hospital with COVID, ends up on a ventilator. Which story are they gonna carry? The 25 year old, why? Because it's sensational and scary and they wanna keep you hooked, right? Okay, this is how they're feeding us our news. But I remember I remember when this whole thing broke out. I was like, man, I don't wanna I don't wanna end up in the ground. I don't want to be dead. This is scary. So as a as a and no one really knew what we were dealing with. So as a church we like shut down for a little while and we were trying to do what we could. And and to be fair, there there was and is a a threat. I know people right now in the hospital. So there was and is a threat. But somewhere along the line, I started to have this feeling that the antidote to the pandemic was actually causing more problems than the problem itself, okay, the fear and the isolation and these kind of things, I think we're actually feeding into and making people, I know people that got way worse off, maybe they didn't get COVID, but they're way worse off through that season of isolation and loneliness and depression and drug and alcohol abuse, those kind of things, and so it's important, church, we need to fight for our right to party, okay, (laughs) all right, You'll wake up late to school. Okay, no, don't do it. Don't do it. There was a specific demographic that would have understood. You guys got it. You're between the ages of, I don't know, 30 to 50. You might have gotten that. I just put myself in the middle and assume I'm right in the middle of that. Okay. Where are we? Okay. Okay. But I want to propose that there's a massive correlation, connection but between holding unswervingly to the, to the faith that we pro- profess and the power of Christian fellowship okay, don't fall into the trap that you don't need Christian fellowship with other believers okay, don't fall into that trap um, I want to, you guys find Acts chapter 2 yet, we're there okay, you've had ample time Um, I want to show you how the early church interacted, okay? This is about three years after the resurrection, three years after Jesus um, ascends to heaven. What is the church doing? Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, there's four things that the early church devoted themselves to. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Okay, what, what was the result of this devotion? Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of Of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay? I don't know about you, but to me, this sounds like revival. This sounds like revival. They were filled with awe at the many signs and wonders. They enjoyed supernatural favor. And the Lord added to them daily. Listen, if the Lord, if the Lord added to this church daily, like say, 365 days a year, if we had one person added to us daily, at minimum, we'd be 365 people bigger as a church. I, I would call that revival. The early church is experiencing revival. There's, so at a minimum, they're having at least 365 people a year. The Lord's adding to their number daily. That sounds like revival. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone asks me, what are the keys for revival? I don't normally think of fellowship and eating a meal together. What are the keys of revival? Fellowship, eating, okay. The apostles' teaching, yes. I would say, yeah, apostles, you need apostolic teaching. We need anointed preaching for revival, yes. What else do we need? We need fervent prayers, yes. What else do we need? I think we need fellowship and eating together, okay? Here's what I think. I think, I think revival's probably started through aposto- anointed apostolic preaching and fervent pinpointed prayers I think that's how revivals get started but I think they're sustained through community I think they're sustained with fellowship and the simplicity of breaking bread together and having communion together and being in fellowship with one another here's the point I want to make and here's what I think we need to get into our heads revival looks like family revival looks like family I think one of the reasons we don't see a sustained move of the Holy Spirit is because oftentimes we don't know what the end goal is. We don't don't know what the end goal is. But listen, if the end goal looks like a a community of believers, family that are close and sincerely love one another, I think that's what revival looks like. I think many times we think of revival as like shake and bake. You know what I'm saying? We're going to do a little shake, a little bake, right? Okay, Now listen, I'm okay with a little shake and bake. I'm okay with some manifestations of the Holy Ghost. I've done that myself, okay? But we need to remember that maybe one of the wildest manifestations of the Holy Spirit isn't the the wild manifestations of the Spirit. It's actually that we feel connected and have this union, this bond of peace, this love with one another. I belong. I have a family. Here's the deal. When you're in a family a church family, when you go through something, you don't go through something alone. My victories are shared, my struggles are shared, my burdens are shared, my pain is shared. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, bear one another's burdens, right? That's what family looks like. But I want to point out here that they didn't just kind of like casually do family. It says that they devoted themselves to it. They were devoted to this Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. It wasn't this passive thing. It wasn't like, oh, if I feel like it today. No, they were devoted to to this fellowship. The word devoted, it means, uh, in the Greek, to continue to do something with intense effort. Intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty. Okay, the early church with intense effort devoted themselves to the breaking of bread together and fellowship. It wasn't a casual thing. It wasn't this casual happenstance, okay? And I believe the revival they're experiencing, this was actually key to the revival they're experiencing and sustaining, all right? Um, The word fellowship, this is an interesting word. Um, Many of you know it. It um, is the the Greek word koinonia, koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. Koinonia. Okay. Uh, It means contributory, help, participation, sharing in, communion, spiritual fellowship, a fellowship in the spirit. That's what koinonia is. It's more than just like we hang out. Like there's a spiritual communion happening among believers. They devoted themselves to helping each other. They devoted themselves to sharing life with one another. They devoted themselves to spiritual fellowship. They devoted themselves to communing together as a community. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, 15, 16, this word koinonia um, comes up again. It says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of Praise. How many have ever offered a sacrifice of praise? You know when it's a sacrifice? It's a sacrifice when it's like you don't want to do it. Or it's like not the easiest thing. I think oftentimes people come to church and you see someone lifting their hands and praise and you're like, oh man, their, their life must be going well. Not necessarily. Sometimes people are going through hell and they're still praising God through it. That's a sacrifice of praise. Okay? Let us offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The phrase there, share with others, it's the same word koinonia, fellowship. Okay, share with others. Here it refers to koinonia fellowship as a sacrifice that God is pleased with, okay? Okay. How many know that sometimes getting to church, getting to fellowship with believers, getting to your, your small group, getting to your men's group, your women's group, sometimes it's a sacrifice to get to those things? It is. Um, and this is why if you're watching online, God bless you. And we're so glad that you're tuning in this way. Um, but don't let this be the only avenue of Christian fellowship you have, because really it's not fellowship, it's just me talking through the camera. And same thing here in the rows. Um, yes, there's interaction happening here, but we want to go even deeper than that and have real Christian fellowship in our lives. Here's my point: sharing life with others can be sacrificial, but it's essential to our Christian health, and it's very rewarding. How essential and how rewarding is it? I want to play a um, a video that illustrates the point I've been making. That if we are to hold fast to the confession of our faith, then this is what the enemy's after in our lives. And he'll mess you up in so many ways. If he can't get you to relinquish your faith, he'll mess with you in so many ways. But ultimately, he's after the confession of faith that you have. He's he's after your your faith and your following of Jesus. And there are many young believers that go to college. They're faced with All these obstacles in an anti-faith environment and many young believers don't have what it takes to get through college and still remain faithful to the Lord. I want to play a video that talks about what it takes to maintain and hold fast to that confession of faith as a young person. So go ahead and play that video.
1: There are more and more studies from very reliable and trusted um, scholars and universities and seminaries that talk about the power and importance of community in the lives of our kids. Now, I'm not talking about the community in which we live, the town or the city or the neighborhood, but the, the, the relational community. Here, here's what they've discovered is that for a teenager. To live out their faith long term. So, long after they've been forced to go to church, long after they graduate from high school and move away to college, for a teenager to have a long term faith in Jesus Christ takes, there's five things that they've discovered, but guess what number one is? Number one on their list of what it takes is for that teenager to have relationships, significant relationships with other adult followers of Jesus outside their family. Be it a Sunday school teacher, a football coach, whatever it might be, significant relationships with other older followers of Jesus outside of their family. Um, When my daughter was graduating from from high school, she sort of made a shift. We thought she was going to go away to school in another state, and towards the deadline of when she had to decide where she was going to go, she sat us down and she said, hey mom and dad, I want to go to this this university. Well, she picked a university that's about a, a 25 or 30-minute drive from our home. And so, we said, well, why aren't you going all the way out of state? And she said this to us. She said, you guys, um, I'm just not ready to leave our group of friends. Now, she didn't say her group of friends. She said, our group of friends. She was referring to this community, this set of relationships that we had created as a family that included some kids her own age and a whole bunch of people our age. People who were a little bit older, a little bit wiser that really loved on our daughter and were in relationship with her in some really powerful ways and she recognized how important and how special that was. So my tip for you is this, as parents. Pay attention not only to the the peer-aged friends of your children. It's very important that they have healthy friendships with kids their own age. But look for opportunities to have your children in relationships with other, older, wiser, loving, caring adult followers of Jesus to help them form a well-rounded community, a well-rounded village. Because if they experience that the odds are far, far greater that they will experience a lifelong journey with Jesus Christ.
0: Kids who are connected strongly in a faith community, especially with older, influential, strong believers, are much more likely to end up lifelong worshipers of Jesus. Hebrews ten twenty three. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Verse 25, Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the return of the Lord is near. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we'll we'll close here. But I want everyone to ask this question. Do you have these type of relationships in your life? Does your family have these type of relationships in your life? I don't believe it's enough to just come sit in the rows and the hope that everything pans out. No, you want your kids to be known, to, be, to know and to be known. And you yourself, the enemy of your soul is after your faith. And one of the ways we can do that, one of the ways we can stay strong and experience and move and sustain and move the Holy Spirit is through the power of community. Acts 2.46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Notice they met in two places. They met in the temple courts, which is large gatherings like this one. And this is an important gathering. This corporate worship, corporate teaching, corporate unity. Those things are super important. But they also met in those small gatherings because they understood the value of koinonia. They understood the value of intimate fellowship with other believers. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't have that in your life, not just your immediate family, if you don't have that in life, I want to encourage you to continue trying and go after it. Now, we have an opportunity here for you to sign up for CD Group, and no one is eternally obligated to any group. If you try it and you don't like it, it's not your thing, try a different one, you know. And every once in a while, there's someone weird in that group, that's okay. Go to the next group or deal with the weird person. Um, Yeah. But you, it kind of sharpens you, too, to, like, deal with real people in real situations, you know? I had a guy in one of our groups. Um, he had really bad BO, and I had to talk to him about it. I'm like, hey, when you come to the group, you got to put some deodorant on, okay? So that's a tough conversation, right? <laughs> we had another guy. This is one of, the, one of the funniest things I've ever had in my life. Um, he was a new guy coming to—before uh, my wife and I were married, this is before we married, we had a guy come to our group. And he was like, "Hey, tell us about you." He's to the whole group, and he's like, "I'm a really good singer. I sing good. I sing to myself. I sing to Jesus, you know." And we're kind of like, "Wow, this guy must be, this guy must be something." But then, when we started to sing, we found out he sang very loud and very, very bad. <laughs> and it was so bad, and he was singing so he was singing louder than Emily, who was leading worship. That, and it was <laughs> the elephant in the room. It was so funny. She literally stopped, and the whole group laughed. <laughs> Everyone laughed. It was the funniest Like, he couldn't hold it in. And he laughed, too. So. But I don't think he knew why. Um. <laughs> anyway, try a group. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe there'll be a weird person. It's all good. But that koinonia fellowship, we need that. And you might just, it might just turn out, but that awkward, that weird person might become a lifelong friend of yours. And you could maybe help sharpen them. Okay. So I'm going to pray for you. And Emily will close. And we'll, and we'll close with a worship song here. Uh, why don't you guys stand to your feet. And you can come up here, uh, Em. Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for Jesus, the community, the fellowship that you desired, your, your ecclesia, your church. You desired us to have something special. Lord, you desired for us to have something deep and it's simple. It's simple and it's profound and it's deep, Lord. And I pray that we at Sea Lights would understand and we would experience that kind of intimate fellowship, Lord, that you've called the bride of Christ, your church, to have, Lord. Would you help us, Lord? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to build this type of culture where we truly have love and affection and concern for one another, Lord. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.